looking at Hebrews, uh, Hebrews mentions the three appearances of Christ. Three appearances. Note, if you will, in verse 24, that he says, Christ, having died and gone back to the heavenly sanctuary, for if we understand the temple of Solomon and the tabernacle were made after what exists in the third heaven. Up there, there is a tabernacle made after that. It's permanent, of course, but it has a place that, where even the sacrifice of Christ went after his death and presented himself as the mercy seat, uh, going into the presence of God, all of this. And he's saying that which we've seen typologically in Israel, in the tabernacle, and even the temple. He has gone back, and verse 24 says, he is now there as a high priest appearing for us before God. Now, let, most of you probably can't even remember the furniture and the arrangement uh, of the tabernacle. We have a tent. We've got an outer court. You enter in. There's the laver. You wash yourself. There's the candelabra. We've got the bread on display. We've got in the uh, Ark of the Covenant, we've got the uh, bread, the manna of the wilderness. We've got the law. Then we have a curtain inside here that when you walk through it, you go in as what is known as the inner sanctum, the holy of holies, where once a year on the 14th day of Nisan, the high priest of Israel would go in there and he had a twofold responsibility. Represent the people before God. And then hopefully represent God to the people. It went this way. I'm going to bring the blood of an innocent victim whose throat has been slit, and the high priest has captured that, and he goes back past his outer court, and he goes through the inner court. Tradition says they wore bells on the skirts that they wore so that the people could hear, is he in there? Is he moving? And so he went back there and he approached the mercy seat, the place where blood was to be sprinkled. And there the Ark of the Covenant was. I had the, I, it was in the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies. And there he would sprinkle blood on the lid of this piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant we had angelic beings carved in that that were looking down, and the idea was it represented the holiness of God looking on the broken law, looking on the divine provision in the manna, uh, looking at the rod of Aaron that budded. And these spirit beings, when the blood was sprinkled there, if God was pleased with the sacrifice, if it met his conditions, without blemish, if the high priest had prepared himself, if he had done the ceremony of cleansing, God would accept it. And the way he would accept it, he didn't kill the high priest on the spot. He not only had bells, 
Often they had a rope tied around them because nobody could get into this holy of holies and come out alive. And so if he was killed and the bells quit making any noise, you drug him out underneath the tent and you go nominate another high priest. Let's try again. A dangerous, dangerous duty. And when he went in there, he wore a piece of clothing with the ephod with the 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, the blood was to atone for who he interceded for. And so he sprinkled the blood. He'd offer sacrifice and praise to God. He would pray, please be merciful to Israel another year. Let the day, the Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, Grant us another 360 days as a nation. Don't extinguish us. Don't eliminate us because of our sins. And he would appear there once a year to represent the fallen nation of Israel and to get mercy on the basis of a shed blood, a slain sacrifice. Please accept the blood of this animal, for the blood shall make atonement. And that word atonement means, for the blood shall cover our sins. But it was only good for 360 days. It had to be repeated every year, every year, every year. Now the writer of Hebrews says, Christ at the consummation of the ages came. And when he went to the cross... He went from the cross and figuratively went up into heaven, as it were, into the holy of holies. And as Wesley's great song said, presented five wounds in his body, presented a resurrected slain lamb, and said, I will become my people's mercy seat. I am the mercy seat, and I am the sacrifice I am the lion that became a lamb that was slain. And it is amazing in Revelation 4 and 5, he's still seen as a slain lamb. God never gets rid of that image of him. He never, oh, that's shameful, that's bloody, that's gory. No, right now they're worshiping on the throne a slain lamb. His kingly reign will be exercised on the earth and eventually The crown will be worn, but there's something about right now. It's the slain crosswork aspect of our lamb that is being presented to God day and night, day and night. We thank you. You were slain. Your blood was shed for every kindred tribe. That's what they've been singing for over 2,000 years, 2,000 years. They never have stopped that song. Now, he says... He's now entered into heaven, and what is he doing there? He is appearing, he's appearing before God the Father for us. Now, what qualifies him to be our high priest? The writer of Hebrews has developed the fact that in chapter 1, he shows Christ is unmistakably deity. He's called Lord. He's called Creator. He's called the Son. 
He's saying God has called him things he never called angels because this one is Lord of lords. He is equal with God in nature. This is the God-man. But in chapter 2, he starts describing that God on a throne as a spirit being could never be our high priest. He could never intercede for his people without coming by way of Bethlehem's manger, Gethsemane's garden, and the cross's crucifixion. He had to go through a process of suffering to become qualified to do his job up there now of appearing for you. Look at Hebrews 2. Turn there. I'm listening for paper. Yes, yes. Or, or iPods, iPads. Just get there. Uh, Verse 14, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Let me just stop and make a comment. Death has never been the same since Jesus died and rose again. He said he did something to the devil. He rendered him powerless. I don't know the full implications of that because I have not yet died. But he says before the cross, before the humanity, and before the resurrection of Christ, Satan seemed to take advantage of saints at their dying hour. He, he came. He rendered powerless him who had the power of death. Now, you remember, he wanted to kill Job, and God had to say, you can do everything you want to Job, but I won't let you take his life. He had to restrain Satan. It's mysterious to me. He had to do it with divine permission, but the devil has been able to kill saints for years before Christ came. He's been rendered powerless in that realm for the saints since his cross work and resurrection. So, uh, when you get ready to die, at least the devil won't get to bother you. That's not bad. I'll take all the help I can get at that time. Uh, then notice, for surely he does not give help to angels, but he gives helps to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, in his humanity, so that he might become, notice, it's something he became. He was not always a high priest. He was not. He became this. It's a new office. Watch. And he became a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. And then he mentions the cross, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to pay for it, to sprinkle the blood, to be sure God's divine wrath was removed from us. That's what the cross did. But right now, he's become qualified to be merciful and faithful at representing you to God. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. I want to tell you, Job said in Job 9, I would enter into court with God, but I have no one to represent me. He said it. I have no one 
that can win my case. And he said, all that I had, someone, and he used a word that referred to put his hand on me and put his hand on God, but I have no middleman. I, there's none up there, not in Job. Now, P, First Timothy says, we now have a mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. God has installed his son, and you say, well, you know, uh, do you know what I'm going through? Spirit beings have never had a headache. You sure would intercede for that. Spirit beings don't know what it is to be sick. Spirit beings don't know what it is to be discouraged. Spirit beings know nothing. And Jesus was pure spirit being until Bethlehem. And he took a human nature to himself in order that even God, who didn't know by experience our humanity, now a member of the Godhead says, I will take a full humanity in order that I will be thoroughly acquainted with all the weaknesses, temptations, and foibles of the human existence. And so we have now one there that says, I understand the human condition, and I want you to know I'm representing you, and I will give you aid when you are tempted. And the word tempted does not mean seduced to evil always. It's a word that simply meant to be tested in any way. It came to have an evil connotation because we fail so often under the test. So it came to have an evil connotation, but it literally meant just to test, to prove it. And every time under testing, you're a great Christian probably until you get tested. You know, I just, uh, when I'm in bed asleep, I am a wonderful Christian. It's when people cut in on the, dry, on the freeway, when people don't get out of my way, when everybody doesn't agree with me. You know, there are some moments, you know, I tell the story, I told it years ago, how that I was getting a runaround on an insurance policy. They kept giving me a bad time. I was getting ticked. I tried to solve it about three times. I, I just wrote letters, and there's a mistake. And then finally, I said, I'm calling, and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind I cannot easily afford to give away. And so uh, I, I called, you know, and I get a hold of the gal on the other end. And uh, to my surprise, she, she was really skilled. She handled me right. But I'm waiting for the opportunity to tell her off and, and, and to tell her Jesus loves her, you know, at the same time. And uh, finally, uh, I'm not getting anywhere because she's doing a great job of handling me. A soft answer turns you right way wrath. Try it sometime. A soft answer turns away wrath. Well, then, right at the end, after I'm, I'm waiting for my chance to weigh in and give her that telling off, she says, and by the way, Pastor, I love last week's sermon. I said, well, honey, I've been praying for you. I've been, I don't even know who I'm talking to. See, just the weakness. You, I got as many weaknesses as the people I preach to. And he said in Hebrews, now that makes you nervous. I, help yourself. Uh, Hebrews said when God gave Israel a high priest, 
He gave them men of light weakness that they could be sympathetic with the people. You know what? Most pastors have your weaknesses plus some. That is what turns them into sympathizers. That's why you can't stand young preachers too much. They're not very sympathetic. They haven't suffered enough to be sympathetic. It's coming. It's coming. It tempers you. I knew the answers to everything at 30. I knew how to raise kids, and now I'm surviving my children here on the front row, just surviving. No, I'm not thanking God for what I'm doing. Why did I get on that for? Well, he's sympathetic. He's representing you. And then chapter 4, he weighs in some more. He says this about the high priest. Same vein, verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold on to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Now notice, the, the mercy seat has become the throne of grace, and when you draw nigh, you receive mercy, you find grace in, to help in time. And the word for help here was used of the word they called a doctor, calling for a doctor to attend to you. So he says, because Christ came, became a man, suffered, he's now installed there before the throne of God, where he is, there's mercy, and he tells his people, you've got a merciful high priest that is on duty all the time. I will never be replaced. It's not once a year. It's every moment of every day. And he says here, I will give you help in time. It literally is a word uh, in good time. I will always be on time if you cry out for help. Uh, he is appearing right now in the presence of God for me. What a great, great comfort to you in sorrow, uh, in suffering, in weakness, in temptation, in testing, uh, in all your human condition. I cannot fathom, I cannot understand how he has been tempted in every point like me without sin. Most of my temptations seem to be to sin. But there are temptations that have nothing to do with sin. Health. Your child found with eight bullets in them. Pain. Lots of things. In our human condition, he sympathizes. You know, it's really important when somebody represents you. Uh, lawyers, if you pay them enough money, will represent you. But I must say, ultimately, they represent themselves. It's called payday. If you give me enough money, I will represent you and see that the law is not misused against you. And believe me, in the right context, you need a good lawyer because you can't represent yourself. 
uh, our government is known as representative government. Uh, we got a congressman in, in Contra Costa County. Anybody know his name? Miller. George Miller been here for years. And you know every time he votes, he represents you. I haven't hardly had a vote represented in 30 years. They don't know what I'm voting for up there. Sometimes I get depressed just going to the voting booth because I think, I know I'm going to lose this. I know this won't go. I have no confidence my vote will be represented. Can you imagine me calling up, George, you know Phil Howard. Would you personally go see Obama and represent me? How much did you give to my campaign? Well, quite frankly, nothing. He said, well, maybe you better call someone you know well. It's scary to think who doesn't represent you. And that's a lot of the frustration today in the American public. Who represents the voters? Who represents all of us that are going to be taxed big time if they don't solve this financial dilemma? Who's going to, who represents? And uh, what's something a lot worse is who represents you before God where you can come off clean? where you can walk out of court, not judged, that you can walk, get away from the divine court of heaven and be declared righteous, acceptable, and will afford you all the help that heaven has to offer. According to Scripture, I have an elder brother up there called the Son of God. He calls me his brother, so I'm calling him elder brother. And he says, I will see you get mercy I will see you get grace. I will never see that you get justice. I've already dealt with that at the cross. Now I'm going to see you get mercy. I want to see you get grace because that's what you need. You need mercy. You need grace. You need timely help. Now, his first coming, he goes, let's go back to chapter 9. He came the first time to deal with justice. Notice what it says in verse 26. Uh, otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has appeared, or he has been manifested, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, the justice that my sin deserved, he dealt with in his first appearing. Christ's first appearing was to become the sacrificial lamb. He could not save you by staying alive. He could not be your high priest without coming alive. To be your payment for sin, he must die. To be your high priest, he must be resurrected. And so his first assignment, Bethlehem, the manger, Gethsemane, the cross, are all one package. And there, I'm going to see that your sin is dealt with exactly as heaven demands. I will see that justice will be satisfied by my first coming and my death. 
so that my father will be free to justify sinners and declare them righteous on the basis of what I do at the cross. And that's exactly what he said he does in Romans 3. God is just to declare a hell-deserving sinner like me free, not guilty, a recipient of heaven without compromising his character. Why? His righteous demands against our sin were satisfied in his son's first coming. Not the Sermon on the Mount, not Matthew 24 and the outline of last day things, not the parables of Matthew 13. His death, once for all, settled everything that would send me to hell, he dealt with in his first coming, never to be repeated. I can't, I've got heaven when I accept the purpose, the person, and the death of Christ the first time. That's why I'm justified. And then I can run from there and say, but if you save me, Lord, I'm still flawed. I still fail. I still have my foibles. I have all these weaknesses. He said, I know, I know. I'm going to install myself as your intercessory high priest, and I will ask the Father for mercy based upon how I satisfied him at the cross. You get everything you get now because I took hell back there. I bore your hell so I can give you heaven's best right now. Heaven's best is mercy, grace, help in the time of need. I get God's best because he bore my hell. So when I come around Christmas time, it's not about magi. And it's not, that tells you how he came. That tells you about the events. Now, let me tell you what I see. I see the cross from Bethlehem all the way to Calvary. He came. He was born that he might die a sacrificial death. See, if the lamb would have went out here and died of pneumonia or worms, he could never be used on the Day of Atonement. Christ died at the epitome of his physical health and life. Why did he have to go so young? Because God wanted him at his best, even in his humanity. And when we got through with him, he was pulverized and so bad off that even the prophet said, you wouldn't want him if you could see him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. Heaven's fairest gift. When we got through with him, friend, he looked like what a prize fighter had beat up. His eyes were so swollen, his face so lacerated, the thorn so pierced his brow and the blood and the coagulation going on. He was an awful-looking mess because sin is awful and hell is awful. And God said, I'm going to put my son through the awfulness your sin caused because I'm sending you a gift. It won't be under the tree. It will be on the tree. For cursed is everything that dies on a tree, and the curse is yours, but another has borne it. This is Christmas, the cross all the way to heaven. Christmas is I've got someone in the heavens 
that's sympathetic with me. I, I, I knock on a door of human opinion, and believe me, I'm not whining. God has been good to me through his people. But the human condition throughout this world, nobody cares if you starve. Nobody cares if you die of amoebic dysentery in the Horn of Africa. Nobody cares that you're dying of malaria in India. We don't care. And if we did, we can't do anything about it. We don't have enough resources, enough. We can't keep 7 billion people on this earth well. But Jesus can. And Jesus said, I'll give my people something that no unsaved man has, and that is a God-man representative facing the Father on your behalf all the time. The reason Larry slept well last night without the alarm is our major alarm clock is in the third heaven. He's the alarm watching. He makes me lie down and sleep in peace, for thou only makes me lie down. Psalms 4.8. My dad used to quote that, and he said, Children, I'd just soon have Psalms 4.8 than a double-barrel shotgun and a bulldog. He alone lets me lie down in peace and safety. Well, He's come once to take care of the awfulness of your sin. He's now appearing before the Father to deal with all your struggles in this life. And guess what? The icing on the cake is he's coming again. He says, and he will appear a second time for salvation with reference to sin. Whoa, wait, wait. You just told me he died the first time for my Here it says, it sounds like I'm not saved. He will appear a second time for the purpose of salvation without reference to sin only to those who are eagerly waiting for him. The most of the world is not waiting for him to come back, are they? No, no, no. They, they don't want him to come. I mean, no, they don't even believe it. But he said when he comes back the second time, it will come for salvation. What's he talking about? Uh, anybody here saved? You're not completely saved. Ask your mate. You are not completely saved. You really are not. Because he said you'd be conformed to the image of Christ. And what I know about some of you, you've got a long ways to go. Conformed to the image of Christ. Guess what? Christ is going to come and complete what he started in you. And that completion will be, according to Romans, he is going to change your body into a completely redeemed body. He's going to transfigure you. He's either going to um, resurrect you or some way he's going to transform you. The third installment will be a changed body, become glorified in a moment, become like Christ in a moment physically, and be done with sin and go to heaven. So guess what? We've got three appearings going on here. He appeared once, he's appearing now, and he's going to appear again. And that next appearance will, for us, bring salvation. For the world, judgment, pain, the end of Armageddon, the nations will be slain by the word of his mouth. Judgment is coming on the earth for his own. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Your coming only means salvation for us. It only means complete deliverance from this world's environment, complete deliverance from a body that humiliates you, 
You know, I notice uh, since I'm in the decade of the 60s, guess, let me tell you, you young cats out there, enjoy it. Enjoy it. You 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds. Uh, let me tell you what 60-year-olds talk about. What are you taking? What are you on? What's your problem? What's been replaced on you? Uh, am I talking to a machine or a brain? Uh, what, what, what are you? And you say, man, welcome. Welcome to the crippled, afflicted, beat up, ugly, getting old, popping. How many pills you want? Oh, you're only on 10. Man, I'm up to seven. We don't need drugs. We, we got to keep Kaiser busy. I meet, I, instead of telling people I'll meet you for lunch, I say, I'll meet you at Kaiser. You know, redeemed to, hey, it's coming. I wear a back brace to preach on Sunday. My good hip is gone. I'm online to have it replaced. And, uh, you know, I don't like to do this because I don't get enough sympathy when I'm sick. But I just can't help it. Sorry. It's a lifelong battle, and I'm going to be replacing everything I can replace. And what most folks are afraid of, there's some things about me that can't be replaced. They wish could. The personality stays with you forever. So what? I want to get a glorified body. I'm going to be conformed to Christ. And someday, someday, you're going to watch me dance. Someday, there's not going to be more pain. Now, I know you think that's pie in the sky by and by. No, 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 no. In the deepest and the worst storm, Hebrews said, we have an anchor of the soul within the veil. I've got a hope from the third heaven. This is not the end. This is not the end. This is not the end. I'm headed somewhere. Let me tell you, there's a view of secular history that says all history is, uh, is circular. History is circular. That we only repeat the same mistakes, and we're always going in circles, going in circles. That is basically secular history's view. We're always going around. Not, not so with God. It's linear with God. We're going somewhere. God is accomplishing his purpose. He's got events. The coming of Christ is going to happen. Armageddon's going to happen. Tribulation's going to happen. The beast is going to come. The Antichrist. Oh, it's all, it, we're on a straight course to exactly the time God says, enough, son, go. Get my people. Judge the earth. Let's burn up the heavens and the earth. And let's make a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will settle down and be at home. And let's start eternity like I meant the Garden of Eden to be. And the final picture, he's going to restore Eden to us, restore paradise to us, and we're going to be with him forever. There'll be no more Cain. There'll be nobody eating the tree. That's the wrong. There'll only be one good tree in this place, and there's no bad trees to eat in our heaven. No more folly. No more probation. Over we will have landed. He has come. Let me say something to you. You won't be ready for a second coming until you accept his first coming. Until you understand why he came the first time. He didn't come the first time just so we can make mangers. He came so he can deal with your sin and your shame and give you eternal life. When you get that, you'll start sleeping so well. I've often said, I grew up terrified about prophecy and the future. And when you don't know God, you better be. 
Because you can die any moment. You can fall into hell any moment. There's no assurance. But from the time I received Christ in South Richmond back in the 50s. Some of you can't spell it. There was a decade called the 50s. Back there, never again do headlines bother me that they may push buttons. Let, help yourself. I'm at the disposal of a sovereign God. I'm not at the mercy of politics, ultimately. They may kill me, and Jesus said that, but they can't kill my soul. They can't determine my destiny because I've made arrangements. You don't realize how much you've got going for you. Just to have Jesus 24 hours a day as your mercy seat and saying, come, come. Our choir sings that song, I'm running to the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is Jesus. I hope you have mercy on somebody and bring them with you tonight. Bring a widow. Bring somebody who's lonely. Bring somebody that they're running to alcohol and they need Jesus. Why don't you bring them? Would they be worth the investment? Just bring them. Just bring them. Tonight will be our final presentation. It's wonderful. Uh, I've got a bunch of friends coming with me. And so I'm looking forward to it. Merry, merry first coming Christmas. Merry, merry continuing in the presence of God for me Christmas. And merry, merry anticipating Christmas in eternity. He's coming again in power and might. God bless you.